Welcome back to Swine TV. We conclude the 2023 Swine Hall of Fame induction interviews honoring the late Bill Prestige. Today joining us is John Prestige, Bill's son. Welcome, John. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, we really appreciate you joining us today to represent your father, the great Bill Prestige in the Swine Hall of Fame. Congratulations to your family on all of your success. Do you, do you have a little story to summarize Bill's journey? Yeah, Bill, uh, my dad, Bill, was was born in Michigan. He was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan uh, in 1935. And all the rest of our family was born in Battle Creek. So we were all Yankees originally. But as you can tell by my accent, we moved south when I was like two years old. And so, you know, dad is a great example of a of a snowbird from the upper Midwest that moved down south early in his career and his entire career and was very successful, came from from uh, humble beginnings and uh, and no no you know support behind him other than his hard work ethic. And uh, had a little luck involved, but uh, certainly went from being a, a guy that was not even in the agriculture business to a to an icon and building the legacy that that is our company Preston's Farms that turned 40 years old this year. What prompted the move like from Michigan? Well, uh, dad's, uh, dad's uh, father was in the beer distribution business and uh, you know, they're, they're of course pretty popular up in uh, the upper Midwest. Pfeiffer beer was their, their, their uh, brand name that they pushed to uh, local, you know, taverns and whatnot. And, and when dad was early on in, in life, he really didn't want to go into that business. You know, there's obviously some problems in that business with alcoholism and whatnot. And he decided he would rather do something else, even though he was offered the opportunity to stay in the family business. But he decided to go elsewhere. He always liked agriculture. He didn't really grow up on a full-blown farm, but certainly was you know familiar with farms and did that in school and everything. And uh, so he did, he went and, and looked around trying to find a job and got landed a job with Central Soy in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in the uh, uh, early uh, '60s, and uh, actually in the late '50s. And uh, and whenever he was hired and given the opportunity to to uh, represent them and sell feed, Master Makes Feeds, it was called. They said all the actions in the southeast. You know, you got to go down where the chickens are going in, the turkeys and the hogs. And so, you know, we we love for you to work for us, but you can't do it here. You got to go south. And so, uh, you know, it was a tough day for my mother. And of course, it was I'm the youngest of three sons and, and my two older brothers and me, we all packed up the car and the family dog and, and away we went down south. And, uh, you know, we went to Spartanburg, South Carolina first was his first uh, sales territory. And then only in a couple of years, they moved him over to Fayetteville, North Carolina, which is close to where we are now. And really, that was where his big break uh, was was offered when one of his best customers, Mr. Otis Carroll, really liked Dad. You know, Dad could charm the horns off a goat. And he uh, really was very, you know, uh, very approachable and everything. And he trusted him. And, and Mr. Carroll was older than Dad. He was probably uh, 25 years older. And he had some grandsons and daughters that were about the, uh, the age of me and my brothers, but his uh, didn't have a, a, a son in the business and just really thought it'd be a great opportunity to become partners. So dad quit his job with a central soy making in those days pretty good money 
to uh, gamble and, and become a 50-50 partner in a, in a new business, but one he thought he would like. And that was really where it all began. And that, that was in the, uh, in the mid to late 60s. And so we, uh, at the time we were living in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where, where the Army base is at. And we had to move closer to where the production facilities were going to be, and uh, which is what Moore saw at that time. And and uh, and we decided to live in Clinton, where we still live today. And that was really what what got it all started. And uh, and they just started uh, putting in uh, hogs and turkeys at the same time. We really put in turkeys kind of first, and hogs came a little later, even though we're much larger in hogs today. But uh, we really kind of started as a turkey company. And uh, but that was really what started him. Uh, in in the uh, livestock production business. And then, you know, a few years later, several years later, actually, uh, Mr. Carroll passed away. And, uh, you know, it wasn't working out between us and the grandchildren, which, which were their owners. And so we went into a buy sale and, and uh, they bought us out and then we had to start over. That was really what started Preston's Farms. Now you're a full protein company, Kalamazoo, Michigan, also home at Derek Jeter. So tell me about you, John. Well, like I said, I'm the youngest of, uh, of Bill's three sons. Um, and uh, I'm mad if I got just turned 65 here a couple of weeks ago or about a week ago. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I ended, when I was very young, when dad was first going out looking at turkeys, you know, he did it all, obviously, in the early days with Mr. Carroll. And, uh, and he was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go with him. He worked all the time. And I went with him a lot and I really enjoyed learning about turkeys and going out with them and diagnosing problems and especially talking with the growers. That that was very, very entertaining to me and, and very rewarding. And uh, so really, I kind of knew early on, I was lucky. I was uh, very, very intrigued by the industry and decided that I think I'd like to do this myself. And and uh, so, you know, did various things in the summer and whatnot as, you know, as I grew up. And then whenever I was you know, able to go to college. I knew I wanted to learn this business. So I went to NC State in Raleigh and I got a, a BS degree in business animal science. And uh, because at that time, of course, we were in hogs and turkeys both, but even though I kind of started as a turkey guy. And so uh, that was, you know, and I was fortunate enough when I got out, you know, I went to work for Carol's Foods at the time still, uh, being in the field with turkeys every day. And then uh, shortly after I was there or started working there was when Mr. Carroll passed away. And then that prompted, of course, to sell out. And so when we did sell out in uh, uh, early 83, we uh, had a one year non-compete. And so we we had to kind of figure out what we're going to do and decided to do the same thing we were doing there. And uh, so we did. And, and, uh, and, you know, we were fortunate enough to buy an existing Turkey Girl Out operation owned by Swift over in uh, in Harrell's, a little small town in uh, eastern North Carolina. And at least that gave us the startup we needed, you know, with existing employees. I think we had about 25 employees and about 25 growers. And uh, that, but it was, you know, in, in operation, in cash flow. And that was the break we needed to get started. We knew we were going to build a nicer feed mill and a, and a better office. And we knew we were going to expand and, and, uh, and we certainly did, but that was the, the start we needed. That was the lucky break we needed um, to uh, get going. And, and so that's what we did. And then we started building our headquarters, which we're still in today, and uh, opened the office and the feed mill in 84, right where I'm sitting today. And uh, have been here ever since. Happy belated birthday as well, John. 
Well, thank you. <laughs> and so one of the reasons why we launched the Hall of Fame is just to celebrate people in the industry, tell stories, things like that. What would this recognition mean to Bill? And then what does it mean uh, to the family? Well, certainly it means a lot. You know, Dad was very proud of being a food producer, as as we all are, our whole family. You know, all of us, uh, my two older brothers and myself are active in the business, of course. And my mother, she's elderly now, but but uh, certainly she's been a very instrumental part. She she did it all in, in, the, in the accounting end, you know, um, from day one as well. She was a very smart uh, woman that understood the business aspect and certainly his his lifelong partner. But, um, you know, it, it means a lot because we've always been proud to raise, raise food. You know, there's, I mean, that's about as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, he was he was a very likable fellow, obviously, and, and got along with everybody and had a lot of great relationships. But I, I think, you know, that he was just so proud to be a food producer. You know, he, in other words, I probably probably shouldn't compare it to this, but where we are in North Carolina is tobacco country. And when we first came, I think one of the reasons uh, contract production became so popular, tobacco was kind of dying out as far as, you know, literally a small farm, independent uh, farmer that could literally make a living for his family on like 10 acres of tobacco. And, uh, but as that started consolidating and going away, a lot of these people, they didn't have enough land to be able to, you know, do row crop. They had to have something else. And I, I really think that's what birthed the contract growing model for the eastern U.S., uh, North Carolina in particular. You know, it was available in, in hogs, turkeys, and chickens. And uh, and now it's just flourished. You know, there's just thousands of contract growers in the uh, in our state now that, that families can, you know, basically live off the farm. And most of them might have part-time or full-time work as well. And, uh, and I think he's, you know, I, I'm just as proud as he is. And I know he was very proud of that relationship of those production partners really being an extension of our family and especially our business. Do you know if from the beginning he had the vision to create something this incredible or did it kind of happen in stages through hard work? I, I definitely think it happened in stages through certainly through hard work. You know, he when we came here and we, we were young kids, you know, he worked all the time. I mean, six days a week was minimum and Sunday was not out of, out of the question. And, and, uh, you know, you, you definitely got to have a little luck in business, but, but you obviously you're never going to have good luck without good hard work behind it. And, uh, he, he was always willing to try something new and he, he really enjoyed doing things like time studies on, on a South farm at a Turkey farm about how long did it take to do a certain task. And uh, he was always very proud of that. He very much liked the hands-on approach to, to um, you know, production, production agriculture. And, uh, and you know, so he he very much proud of himself in, in knowing the ins and outs of what it took to, to grow the, the hogs and the turkeys. And, uh, and but, you know, he was also very willing to take chances and, and especially make change. And, you know, North Carolina's had a lot of entrepreneurs coming along that in housing and environmental things, especially that he he welcomed and was always willing to try. And it's still that way today, of course. And, and, uh, and, you know, I really think the fact that, you know, North Carolina production always knew we had a disadvantage in feed costs because we're such a grain deficit state. We knew we had to do something better in, in uh, facility cost and, and production labor to get the job done. And I think that that was some of the things that we did here in, in the Eastern part of the state in poultry and hogs 
that uh, that really kind of kind of got the ball rolling on being good competitive producers. So when you think about Bill Prestige, is there a standout memory or achievement? Yes, I, I think so. I really think whenever, really, we had two major breaks that enabled us to, uh, opportunities, I should say, that enabled us to grow to the size we are today, to start with just in the North Carolina boundaries, and then later that that led to the other states we're in now. We now operate in six states. And I think the first was, uh, again, we were in turkeys a little bigger to start with, and we were hogs. And that was probably because he had a good relationship with another family business in Virginia, the Stricklers that owned Rocco, Rockingham County, uh, Virginia, and the Shenandoah Valley. And, you know, we we liked them. We worked well together with them. We did a lot of business in the turkey, uh, turkey world with them. And then we had this, you know, thought together that, you know, uh, we did a good job growing turkeys and and they they owned the plants. We didn't have a turkey plant at the time. So we decided let's build one together and we'll supply all the turkeys and they'll run the plant and you know sell the meat. And so we did. And, and that was when we built the St. Paul's plant, which opened in uh, 1990. So we were gearing up to get ready for the turkey production to fill that plant in the, in the mid to late 80s. That was his first big break to really start putting us on a level of volume where we were going to be a significant player. And uh, and so we we did and put put all the turkeys in for that plant and uh, and then only two about two years later after that plant opened uh, actually while, while our plant was being opened um, the Tar Hill plant was being thought up and and uh, you know going to be built and it was Tar Hill opened I believe is in the summer or fall of ninety two. And uh, before it opened, we actually uh, had the first ride refusal on the old um, John Morrell plant in Wilson. And uh, and Dad wasn't that good of a friend or he wasn't as close to Joe Luter III at the time before all this occurred. But he met the guy and obviously, you know, he knew about us and everything. And and uh, obviously you had the Murphy family down here and the, still the old Carroll's operation was here. And that was going to be the foundation of hog supply for that plant. And uh, so I think the next big break, and I was fortunate enough to kind of be there, um, you know, we kind of knew that uh, that Wilson plant was not going to be viable, at least the slaughter. It ended up being further processed. But I was fortunate enough to take uh, dad down to the Tar Heel plant the day. Um, it was actually up and running, and uh, but we were taking our hogs elsewhere at the time at that other old plant. And uh, he went to meet with Joe Three, uh, Joe Luter Third. And I was driving and it was in the summer and it was a hot day. And I, and I remember the car I was driving, dad's car, the air conditioner wasn't working. And I, and they were blaming me. They, they kept yelling at me, it's like, get that damn thing working. And I was like, well, you know, it's not my fault. But I'll, let, let's just go into the shade tree and talk. It was a very hot July day. And and it was very short and to the point. Dad talked to Joe and, and said, Joe, he said, all, all I'm here to tell you is that I know that plant's not competitive. And I'm sure I can be a great supplier to your company. But I'm not going to sell you my hogs any cheaper than you're you're buying from Carroll's or Murphy Farms. As long as we have the same deal, we're in. And Joe Litter said, "Well, I'm in too. Let's do it." And that was it. Was basically that short and sweet handshake deal. And we laughed about it and and uh, complained about the air conditioner a little bit more. And that that was the day that our our relationship was formed with Joe Three and and my dad and and Joe Three ended up being very close friends. We were truly, they were true friends in business, you know, as, as, even though they weren't partners, um, other than, you know, the obligation of a supplier to the to the you know, slaughterhouse, you know, but um, 
but they had a great relationship that that endured, you know, through the through the end of time. In fact, Dad spoke; he was on their board and spoke at many events. And when they had the the unveiling of the statue honoring Joe Three up in Virginia, Dad spoke on the behalf and and really mainly spoke about relationships between um, you know suppliers and and uh, and, and vendors and uh, about how important it was and and uh, and that was very true. They, that. You know, there's no question that Smithfield was the company that got in a lot of hog production as well as slaughter and understood the importance of, of those two working together. And I think that was just just very much, uh, you know, solidified with the relationship between Joe Three and my dad. And that was really what set us on track to being a, a preferred supplier of them. And, and we still are today. I think we're still the largest supplier of live hogs to uh, Smithfield besides themselves, of course. So along the way, was there like a key teaching moment? Yeah, I mean, there there's always a lot of key teaching moments with with uh, dad's his his infatuation was always least cost production. Uh, if there's one thing he he would just stress over and over, it was least cost production. And sometimes I'd argue saying, well, you know, our, our revenue side is almost as important as that, I believe. And he, he would remind me, no, it never is. If you're not a competitive least cost producer, then you don't have a chance. And I think that was kind of born out of the fact that, you know, Eastern North Carolina, again, had a very feed cost disadvantage and it always has and always will versus, you know, the corn bill. And, uh, and I think that's what always drove that. He was always infatuated with making sure we were doing all the little things right. And as you know, our business is a very low margin business and, you know, very small incremental cost savings or, or disadvantages have to be, you know, worked on to be competitive. And uh, and I really think that that uh, you know us us more uh, you know focusing on live production we weren't in the plant and, and hog slaughter especially for many years you know he was just very much in tune to uh, all the all the very minute details it takes to be very good in, in uh, growing a live hog and a live turkey and and uh, and you know that's just what he always concentrated on and instilled in a lot of us you know I was. I actually did all the nutrition work for both the hogs and the turkeys after we started over because we didn't have a nutritionist. And he said, well, didn't you take nutrition in college? I said, yeah, two courses. He goes, well, congratulations. You get good at it. So I did it all for 15 years and, and, uh, and really, you know, him saying, look, you know, you, you don't, even though you don't know it now, if you work hard enough and, and always let your eyes tell you in the field what's happening, you'll be good at it. And that's how I approached it and still kind of look at it that way today. And, uh, and that's really kind of kind of what I learned from him that, that uh, you know, if, if you got good common sense, you can you can make make the right decision long term by focusing on uh, what's working. What was the Bill Prestige key to longevity? I think clearly his love of people and uh, and him him being a big believer that, that the team of workers at the at the company, you, you obviously can't do it alone. The president's family can't do it alone. He was. He was just such a likable guy that, that um, you know, he could be stern, he could be tough, he could be mean if he needed to, but he was also very fair and very generous. And I think that anybody that worked with him, especially on a uh, personal basis or on a direct basis, you know, uh, just understood exactly where he was coming from. He was very, very honest. And uh, and I just think that that's, that's usually pretty easily communicated um, with a personality like he had and, and people that are that are astute in business at all are going to realize that very, very quickly. 
and uh, and are going to realize this is the kind of guy I want to do business with. And you you know you see a man that that is as honest as he was and and as straightforward and not beat around the bush and and get to the point and and be you know honest and fair about what we can do to make things better and solve problems. I think that goes a long way into forging a good business relationship with other people, whether they're your partner in business or they work for you or, or they're a vendor or supplier. I think it's true with all those people. And that was definitely his strength on, uh, he was just a, he was very much just a good old people person. Where do we need the industry to be in 50 years? Wow. <laughs> well, that's a great question. One hand, I wish that, and I'll speak about pork, and we're now obviously about, you know, 70% pork versus uh, turkey. And um, so, you know, that that kind of floats our boat the most, whether we're sinking or, or, or going high on the tide on the profitability of that sector. And, you know, on the one hand, I think the U.S. is the best pork production in the world. But unfortunately, it seemed like a lot of company, countries don't want to buy from us, import from us, you know, just because they're jealous of us, in my opinion. And us relying on this export has got me a little concerned. You know, I think that's kind of the dilemma we're in now with a little bit of oversupply, thinking we're going to have all this Chinese pork that they're going to take forever. And we've seen pretty quickly how they've replenished us, replaced our pork with their their own. And uh, so I think, unfortunately, you're going to continue to see consolidation definitely on the on the production side. I think the days of small, really small farms are over. You know, we we really thought uh, I'll give an example. Um, we built a lot of our sows in North Carolina back in the in the uh, 80s and 90s. Uh, we really thought a small sow farm, a 624 sow farm was a perfect farm because a husband and wife team could take care of it with only one helping employee. And that was true, and that that model worked. But the problem is, eventually, when you work seven days a week, you know, every week for a few years, you get burned out. And I think that's what you know, what necessitated the need for the small farms, where you can have labor that rotates on the weekends, you know, and and uh, and that's you know, so that model just didn't work that good for an independent guy. You had to have a team of people that you know you could rotate labor, and uh, and that's you know kind of what it takes, but. So I think clearly you're going to see large farms dominate in the future in, uh, in both sow base as well as uh, growth finished space. And certainly there's limits there you need to be careful of to, with mixing of sources of pigs. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a little, um, I really think with the vet clinic type producers like Pipestone and Carthage, you know, that there's certainly plenty of room and they're very good producers that when they work together like they do, they're, they're very good producers of pork in this country. And but you know I think you are going to see more consolidation in the slaughter of the pigs and selling of the meat, and I just hope that it that it stays fair for everybody, where we can try to spread the the thin margin there is in the total supply chain of putting pork on the table. I just hope we can keep some kept aside for the live producer as well as the slaughterhouse as well as the the value added FP producer. Is there something we don't know about Bill or a story that nobody's heard? <laughs> well, there's been a lot of stories, and uh, I think one of my favorite memories that Dad was very competitive. You know, even though he never was a professional athlete or a college athlete or anything, but but uh, he was a pretty athletic guy. He actually did box when he was uh, in in high school, and and uh, he had some funny stories about that. But um, one of my favorite stories that that uh, that I remember well 
was, you know, we got a, there was a lot of family owned co corporations down here now that, that uh, some of them are corporate owned now, but, but some of them are still left. And the one in particular is House of Rayford. Marvin Johnson was a guy very much like my dad and, and a little bit older. And uh, dad and, and Marvin used to like to, you know, bet and talk about, you know, he was always in chickens and turkeys. He never was in hogs. We were in hogs and turkeys. And dad said, well, he said, Marvin, he said, I'm going to, we're going to beat you on profitability growing hogs uh, this year. And this was back in the, uh, I think it was in the late 90s. And he said, uh, I'm going to bet you $5,000 and, and we're going to write it down that I'm, I'm going to beat you growing uh being competitive and growing hogs versus chickens and profitability for this certain period of time. And uh, Mark goes, you're on. And so we went on and we kind of forgot about it. And dad said, you know, he said, I'm going to go back and look at that. And it was very, very close. Actually, I'm not even sure if we lost a bet or not, but he said, we're going to have some fun with this. He said, Marvin, we got to, we got to meet together with all the guys in the business. It was the Murphy family. It was the Maxwell's with Goldsboro Mellon. It was us, the Johnson's with, uh, with House of Rayford. And so he said, we're going to go to a local restaurant. And he said, I I've lost a bet and I want to pay you off. And he goes, okay. So me and the, and the controller, the, the chief financial officer of our company went to the bank and got $5,000 in $1 bills, put it in a garbage bag. We kind of felt like we were doing something illegal with a bag full of money. And we left and went to the restaurant that night. And, and we, we had some entertainment coming there to make some funny, you know, things. And, and uh, it was just hilarious. We all had a good time. And then when it came payment time, we, uh, dad, he goes, well, he says, it's time to pay up Marvin. He pulled out this bag of cash and literally just took, turned it upside down and dumped it on the floor. And it just looked like this huge amount of money, even though it was only $5,000. And, and there was our two guys that were the waiters taking care of us that night. Marvin looked at me and said, if you boys want a tip, I advise you to jump in there right now. And they did. And I think they got about half of it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it was, it was a very, we all laughed. We just, we thought that was great. And he, he ended up framing a little picture or a little letter we made of that bet and wrote down the, the date that we, uh, you know, executed and all that. And we still got a frame in our conference room today. <laughs> I bet, bet there's lots of stories there, John. Oh, there's, there's a lot of stories. He, there, there was a lot of care between Wendell Murphy and Marvin Johnson and, and Louis Maxwell. Um, you know, it was, and it was, uh, it was really a lot of fun in the days when we were all family owned, like we are still today. And, and, uh, and the Johnsons still are. And, and, uh, but, but unfortunately if some of the other family ones sold to, you know, the corporate America and, and, uh, and, you know, things are a little bit different. They're, they're still good, but, but that we have some really good times as all competitors. And, and, you know, and I think it's evidenced by the fact that years ago, we all realized the importance of being competitive again in our uh, disadvantage here in the East. And so we went to get, we were the first, I, I believe we were the first uh, combination of companies to come together and buy supplies together. We call it Ag Provision. It was over 25 years ago. Now we, we would buy things like, you know, vitamins for the feed, uh, you know, amino acids for the feed and uh, a lot of feed, feed grade things. And then vaccines and, you know, medications you put in the feed for, for the hogs and the turkeys, we'd always buy together. We would, you know, commoditize, you know, the pricing of, of, high volume ingredients that, that we use to, uh, you know, make, make meat production. And, uh, you know, even though we were competitors, we worked together and we realized the importance that it would help us all. And that we still do that, that today, that was started by the old founders, you know, my dad being one of them. And, and uh, we're trying to maintain that same camaraderie and, and realization that working together can save us all money, even though we are competitors and we still do that today. 
final word about your dad, Bill Prestige, John? Well, he, he was a guy, one, one thing that really bothered, again, I told you he was a very, very good people person and, and a very good judge of character. If there was one thing, probably the thing he was the best at was, was being able to judge the talent of a person. You know, they might have the personality to do sales. They might be a production guy. They might speak well in front of people. They might not. But he had an uncanny ability to know how to put the right guy in the right place to get the job done. And and I think that was his greatest strength, you know, that just just knowing that. And and uh, but what really bothered him as he got older, you know, in the last probably ten years, obviously his memory would start slipping a little bit, and uh, it would really bother him when, when everybody that knows him in this part of the country, of course, and and around the whole U.S. would see him. Hey, Bill, how you doing? He could not remember their name, and that would really bother him because he, you know. It's like the old saying, what's the most important thing you can say to a person, their name, right? And, uh, and it really got under his skin. He would forget that. He was always asking me, who was that again? Who was that? And I would tell him, you know, if I knew. And and uh, But, you know, just the fact that he was such a people-oriented guy, always was and always will be, uh, That that's what I think, you know, people would remember the most about him. And I think that's, that is the thing that he would want the people to, to know the most about him is that very thing. Well, John, thanks for joining us and celebrating Bill and, and representing him into the Swine Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. It's, it's an honor. And, and uh, you know, like I say, my my uh, mother's still still kind of struggling with, with his passing and, and my brothers are as well. But but we just been so fortunate, all three of us to have worked with him, you know, for me, my entire career. And, and my other one of my other brothers, my oldest brother was a horse vet for several years, but he joined us in the 90s. And and uh, it's just, uh, we, we're, and of course, we all have children and, and all of us have at least two of our children active in the business and hope that we can maintain what we started here and keep it family owned. And, and you know, I think fortunately, they're all as proud of food production in the U.S. as we are and, and hope that we can keep the press's name alive, even though you don't see our brands out there. You know, we're a very, a very large private label producer, especially in Turkey. And, uh, but that's fine. It's still food and we still love to, produce it and, and feed America and the world and and uh and have just been fortunate enough to have done done that all these years with, with Bill, my dad, and and uh it's just been a it's been a great career. Well, memories last a lifetime and we learned a lot today, John. Absolutely. Very much so.